Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and I love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer in grad school at NYU, and since then I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So today we have something a little bit different. Uh, This is actually a pre-recorded interview. So I got the opportunity to go to the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, earlier in May. Uh, And I got the opportunity to sit down with Ray Daniels. He is the founder and director of the Certified Cicerone Program. He's able to give a lot of insight as far as how the program got started, uh, as well as the very difficult decision to add a level to the certified Cicerone examination a couple years ago, and that is the advanced level. So have a listen on this really fun interview. I'm joined today by Ray Daniels. He's the founder and director of the Cicerone certification program. Previously, he worked for nine years at the Brewers Association, editor of Zimmergy and uh, The New Brewer, both excellent publications. Uh, his very first book was Designing Great Beers. This is a classic uh, for brewing literature. In 2006, the idea for a beer server certification program came about after a bad bar experience. And uh, Ray, I would actually want you to tell that story. I feel like you would... Well, yeah, I actually uh, heard recently that that bar has finally closed. Oh no! <laughs> I, used to, I used to never, I used to never say the the name of it, uh, uh, but uh, I understand they've closed now. But uh, uh, I was way out in uh, Southwest uh, Colorado mm-hmm. and um, went into a bar actually with Randy Mosier okay. uh, of Tasting Beer fame and many other books as well. And uh, Lynn Kruger, who was the, the president and director of the Siebel Institute at the time, and Lynn is like, you know, a globally known sensory expert and <laughs> made her bones as a sensory expert in, in South Africa. So three beer legends walk into a bar. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think we ordered something that we, you know, thought would be pretty safe because it was, you know, they had like 25, 30 taps, which was a lot for 2005, 2006. And, yeah. and uh, in, a, in a small town in the mountains so. and... Uh, it was like, um, uh, and so we ordered, I think, like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale because we thought, well, probably they probably turned that over a lot. It'll probably be good. You know, we'll give that a try. And it came and it was, you know, utterly undrinkable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just trying to, like, communicate to the server that, like, the beer was bad and needed to be 
taken back and taken off and you know could we have something different and it was just like utter incomprehension that that beer could even be bad uh, much less that that might be their responsibility or that they should have anything to do with that um, and I think that was one of the, the sort of crystallizing moments, if you will. And, you know, I certainly had many bad beer service experiences prior to that in my life. Uh, and some of them were, were fairly benign. Uh, you know, somebody, me asking somebody, you know, I'd been served some beers and asked, like, what was the alcohol content of, of this particular beer? And they're like, oh, 7.4%. I'm like, okay, great. That's really great. And I thought, wait, that seems kind of high. It's like, what about this other beer? Oh, yeah, that's 7.4% too. All of our beers are 7.4% alcohol. <laughs> that's just impressive. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. You, you, got, you got me with the precise to, to a tenth of a, of a percent there on the first one, but <laughs> we figured out what was going on here. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, the many, many incidents, obviously, over time of situations where beer service could have been better, yeah. um, where, where the brewer's art could have been presented in a more favorable way, um, but, you know, I think at that time I was in the role for the Brewers Association. I was the director of craft beer marketing at the time. My job was promoting craft beer to the world, basically, you know, to the media, to uh, culinary experts, to, you know, retailers, uh, um, restaurants, everybody. And um, so I was really thinking about, like, wow, you know, here are my primary constituents, America's craft brewers, making great beer. And then, you know, it's getting ruined in the last 10 yards between the, the keg and, and the consumer. And, um, yeah, and so I literally had the thought of, wow, somebody should do something about that. <laughs> and at some point it was like, oh, um, wow, maybe that somebody's going to be me. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was definitely a, a crystallizing experience. So we... A couple weeks ago, or I guess months ago, uh, did a show all about the Cicerone exam. I had mm-hmm. three different uh, people on who had all passed a certified level, one of them who had attempted the uh, advanced mm-hmm. and failed, as many do. Um, and you can all go back into the uh, archives and take a look at that. But, you know, just so you all know, this is a, this is a very uh, challenging exam to take on. Uh, you have the first level, which is the certified beer server. 60 questions, multiple choice, um, and that one is challenging, although, in my opinion, very doable. Yeah, very approachable. Um, and then you have the certified Cicerone, so you've written a portion of the exam, and this is not multiple choice, this is short answer or right. single answer. Um, you have a tasting, and then you have demonstration that is mm-hmm. actually filmed mm-hmm. and then reviewed. Uh, and then you have the advanced, uh, which is written, oral, and tasting. Uh, and then the master Cicerone exam, which I believe there are only 16 16 right now. masters, yep. 16 masters is a two-day exam with essays, uh, oral portion, and tasting. Um, and while these, you know, do get pricey, the certified Cicerone is four ninety-five. Mm-hmm. Um, you compare it to any kind of sommelier certification, uh, their just introduction uh, exam is five ninety-five. So... So studying beer is a little easier because it is more affordable. Um, but it is an undertaking. It's a massive amount of work. Um, and the big theme that we discussed during that show was essentially, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the general conclusion that we came to was, yes, it was. Thankful. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so thankful. <laughs> <laughs> We're not like the deciding factor here. But, you know, this is something... Uh, 
that there's such a vast amount of information that I think the exam covers that it is applicable to whatever part of the beer world you are headed into. Right. Um, and I think that the certified level especially has gained a certain amount of respect in all aspects of the brewing community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when I started out, um, because when it started, it was me mm-hmm. <laughs> at my dining room table at home uh, and, you know, threw together a website and... You know, I really came from brewing and beer, as, you know, as a home brewer, working uh, with professional brewers, uh, running beer festivals, publishing magazines, publishing books, putting on events, promoting craft beer. And so brewers were my natural constitu- constituency in terms of where I was known and, and where I came from. But I also had a very uh, specific uh, strategic plan, which was that retailers would never adopt the program if brewers hadn't already bought into it. Yeah. So I knew not to immediately go out and try to start selling retailers until I'd already brought the brewers into the fold and kind of gotten them on board, regardless of whether they did it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted them to know about it. I wanted them to understand it. I wanted them to respect it so that they would then, you know, uh, support uh, the pursuit of certification by the people in the distribution level, by the people in the retail level. And in fact, that's that's the way it worked out. And we saw, you know, that that growth that the brewers were the first ones to really seriously check it out um, and participate in it. And then as soon as they really bought into it, they started to to really uh, put pressure on the, the beer distributors mm-hmm. to get involved um, to to do the program uh, in, uh, as part in part as a way to educate their people and also in part as a way to sort of um, uh, validate or, or demonstrate that they had knowledge about craft beer and were capable of, of promoting those products and selling those products and handling them properly. Um, and then obviously it eventually gets to the retailers and, and the, the, the brewers started doing it in their tap rooms and, and brew pubs um, and you know bars and restaurants uh, learned about it on their own and started started buying into it and or they'd hear about it and ask, you know, the beer distributors or, or brewers about it. And when they'd get a positive response, then, like, they'd be all in and, and go do it. So, you know, it literally took many years um, of offering the program and, and promoting the program and talking about it to get that broad spectrum uh, of adoption. Um, and, and now I say, you know, literally we have everybody from, you know, the 21-year-old server that just mm-hmm. got their first job in a bar or restaurant uh, to, you know, veteran brewery CEOs that are participating in the program and at, at all the various levels. Yeah. And it's become, I mean, years ago when I was, uh, I was the beer director at 11 Madison Park, and in New York City, and a lot of times uh, a uh, distribution company would make it a requirement for all of their Mm -hmm. uh, employees to have it. And that's when I started to see it really spread because Mm -hmm. it was like a benchmark. And now it's become so ubiquitous that when you go and you hang out with people outside of the industry, Mm -hmm. they'll even say, oh, you're into beer, cool, cool, you do beer stuff, yeah, are you a Cicero? Mm -hmm. Because they immediately equate it with the sommelier certification, Mm -hmm. which is kind of really great to see because it it helps kind of... uh, you know, give the beer world a little bit more of a backbone, I suppose. Right, right. Well, yeah, we're, we're obviously thrilled about that. And, uh, 
you know, there are other programs and other things out there, and uh, you know, that's that's. So we're not the only way to do it, but we certainly are, are happy to be the, the best known uh, way to do it, and, and I think far and away the the most widely adopted uh, method of doing it. Um, and, and you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago that um, I think that that beer really didn't have much respect uh, before, and that was one of the things that I think we put a stake in the ground right away because when the program launched or, you know, we had available not just the certified beer server exam mm-hmm. uh, and the syllabus for the certified beer server exam, but we had the master uh, Cicerone syllabus yeah. and online. And anybody could go to our website and download that syllabus and look at it. And it was, I think, at that time, 22 pages in outline format of all the things you need to know um, to, to be that we expected to, to be known by a master Cicerone. And I think that initially there was a lot of sort of um, sort of snickering and, and amusement that, you know, oh, they're going to, they think they're so, you know, beer, oh, they're going to have a beer. Yeah, okay, I know everything I need to know about beer. I pull on the handle and the beer comes out and I fill up a glass and I'm done. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of attitude would be sort of brought up short by mm-hmm. saying, well, here, you know, read the syllabus of all the things there are, there are that you should know if you're a world-class beer expert. And they'd start reading through it and they'd be like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and sort of start suddenly start to realize like wow you know I, I didn't know there was this much much and I heard that a lot the first few years it's like I didn't know there was that much to know about beer yeah and so that was a, a big part of the first thing of just re, you know helping people realize like there is a lot to know about beer beer is very complicated there's a lot that goes into it um, on the back side of the bar yeah. right. Um, yeah, beer should be a simple pleasure for the consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, the consumer should be able to walk in, order what they want, not have to give it another thought, and have a beer come that's beautiful, tastes fantastic, looks great, and they should be able to enjoy it and not have to have another thought about it. But in order for that to happen, it takes an awful lot of work on the part of a lot of people who, who know things and, and understand how it's supposed to work to do their job right. Yeah. Um, not just at the brewery, but after that beer leaves the brewery um, before, by the time it gets to the consumer. Yeah, the presentation of beer, it's, it's something that I always really feel for the brewer because there's so much effort that goes into creating their vision. Mm-hmm. Of course you have the science, but then there's the, you know, the unknown factors that will you know, affect a beer. And I, you know, I always feel terrible when I go to a bar and I, or a restaurant and I try a beer and I can taste that, I can taste that off flavor in the line. Like I can tell yep. when it's not yep. clean and you're just, you know, you ache for that, for that producer because that is everybody who's drinking that beer that night. That's their opinion of that beer. Right. Right. You know what exactly. I mean? And, yep. um, you know, I worked for Greg Anger in DC for a mm-hmm. long time and yep. I've, I've said it, Many times on the show, and I'll say it again, the great lengths that we went to, uh, went through to keep those lines clean was um, impressive. And yeah. no matter how much caustic I accidentally drank during the, uh, you know, tasting the water process, <laughs> it was worth it. It's not good. <laughs> not yeah. good, not good. <laughs> Speaking of safety. Um, that's why they have pH strips. <laughs> that's why they have pH strips. I know. I, but, you know, sometimes... You know how it goes. <laughs> um, now, something that I've been, I've been dying to ask you about is, uh, what was it, three years ago is when the advanced level came out? or four Right, years? 2015, 2015 is when we announced it, and 2016 is yeah, when we when started, started executing it. it right. And um, just among the people that I spoke to about it, 
they were mixed reviews. Mm -hmm. You know, you had people who um, appreciated the fact that there was another level um, that kind of bridged the gap between certified Mm -hmm. and master. You also had people that appreciated that it was similar to the sommelier path in Mm -hmm. that it was an intro, a certified, an advanced, and a master to kind of continue that legitimacy of beer in comparison to wine. Mm -hmm. And then there were other people that would say, you know, this is another scheme to get money essentially mm-hmm. this is another step you know to gain money right. for the organization and you know how did you deal with that because I'm sure you've heard both yeah well and, and honestly we fought uh, the need to do it for a long time mm-hmm. I- internally and you know one of the reasons we fought that need was it's a lot of work yes <laughs> Number one, and and the other one, number two, was yeah, we, we didn't want people to say, oh, you're just doing this, you know, to make more money, and so we we really because we had been talking about it for at least three years by the time we finally did it, and there was a lot of internal, you know, sort of camps of you know, no, absolutely not, we we can't do this, and others that were like, yeah, no, we we need to do it, um, and, and really, you know, it, it it came from outside the organization. It was, um, and I can tell you, you know, Patrick Rue, um, the, the owner of the brewery in mm-hmm. Southern California, Orange County, California, um, when he passed the master Cicerone exam, and I call every master candidate uh, with their results mm-hmm. uh, after the exam, and when I called him and told him that he passed, he said, well, thanks, that's great, you know, appreciate it. He says, right, you have to put in another level between certified and, 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 and master. It's just too hard. It's too much. Yeah. Um, and he, and, and again, we'd heard that many times from different people, but that's necessarily from people who had passed the master. Yeah. Right? So here's somebody who has now just passed the master, um, who clearly has the chops and the capability, and he's saying, yeah, don't do this. You know, gotcha. put, put another step in there. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he, we don't normally talk about, you know, people's histories and, and efforts in the exam, but he's been public, public and said this, that, you know, he took it twice, took the master twice. And he took yeah. it the first time and, you know, it was just over, he was overwhelmed by, by the amount of difference between certified and, and master. So that was, it was his comment combined with all the other input we'd got or had gotten uh, that, that, that helped drive it. And I'll tell you the other thing that was a big part of it, too. Um, at the time, there were about um, 2,500, let's say, certified mm-hmm. Cicerones. Yeah. Um, and there was a time when, you know, when you were a certified Cicerone, that was pretty special. You know, when there were fewer than 1,000, fewer than 2,000 even, people were like, hey, I'm one of a, a pretty small elite group. Well, now we're more than 2,000, and now a lot of those certified Cicerones are not in to feel not feeling so special anymore. They're starting to feel like they need to move on. They need to do something else to set themselves apart. Yeah, and the, I mean, what is it right now? You have three thousand two hundred and forty-eight in that ballpark. Yes. Yeah, and advanced, um, you have eighty. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so there was that 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 you know clamoring in the certified Cicerone ranks to to move on to to do something to set themselves apart. Yeah. And the only way to do that was master. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the master exam was never designed to be a mass exam. No. You know, it is, it is a two-day exam. Uh, there are 12 oral examinations in, in the master exam. Yes. 
Um, and, you know, we bring in people like, you know, Dick Cantwell and, and John Mallett uh, to be master examiners on that. Um, you know, we, we use, we suck up a lot of resources out of the industry, not just out of, out of Cicerone mm -hmm. uh, to, to, that, to do that master exam. So we'd gone from accommodating 12 candidates per, per exam and doing it once a year. And the demand went up, so we, we fixed it so we could, uh, well, I guess we started doing two exams a year, and then we rearranged the format a little bit so we could do accommodate 24 candidates every time. So we were running, you know, trying to run 48 people a year through the master's Cicerone exam. And we were finding that the minute we opened uh, signups for the exam, they'd be sold out within five minutes, and there'd be a waiting list of sometimes, I think one time we had 80 people on the waiting list. Uh, so, you know, enough to fill up three, three full sections of the exam or four total. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the problem with that, you know, we wanted access to be egalitarian. Like we didn't want to decide who of those 80 people was qualified or prepared, you know, to take the master exam. We wanted it to be an open uh, thing. So we started doing a lottery and uh, with the lottery, it gives everybody an equal chance. But the problem is some of those people are prepared and some of those people aren't. And so we'd run the lottery, we'd run the exam, and you'd look and there would be people with scores in the 50s, mm -hmm. and there'd be people with scores in the 80s. And passing scores 85 on the master exam, by the way. And so you look at that and you're like, okay, well, these people with, with scores, you know, in the 80s or close to 80, like, those guys are definitely ready to be here, and they're going to come back, and we're going to get them in there. And those folks in the in scores in the 50s, like... We're glad that they got a chance, and, and we set it up so they, they couldn't immediately come back and do it again. They had to sort of wait out a certain number of years and so forth. But it was like, you know, there are other people out there that are probably better prepared that could have been in those spots. Yeah. And we're, 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 we're using valuable resources, not only of Cicero, but of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd really like for the people that are presenting themselves as candidates for the master exam to be better prepared, to, to, to be, you know... Um, closer to be in the game yeah. if you will and so that was a big part of the final decision was like we just can't keep doing this you know sucking the resources out of the, the brewing community to run this exam um, and not have the best people um, as the candidates that, that were presenting in this exam and so then we like, well how we're we gonna pre-qualify people so then we started talking about well we could have a class, we could have it, well, if you make a class, then people have to pay to be in the class, and that's a restricting thing. We don't want to do that. Again, we want it to be egalitarian. We want it to have as few barriers as possible. How do we do that? And ultimately, like, all right, well, you know, we'll have them write an essay and send it in, and we'll grade the essay, and, you know, well, then they're going to cheat, and uh, we have to grade the essays, and, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's like we really just eventually came down to the fact of like, oh, oh, the other thing was if we pre-qualify people for the master exam, then that's yeah. going to be a de facto fourth level that yeah. people will start putting on the resume like, you know, I'm, I'm qualified for the master exam. You know? uh, yeah. And so it's like, well, so one way or the other, we're, we're creating a fourth level. So yeah. now it's just a matter of how are we going to create a fourth level, right? Yeah. So then it was like, okay. Yeah, you're right. It is going to be a fourth level one way or the other. So it may as well be a full-on exam. We may as well basically do do the things, mm -hmm. all the activities that we do in the master exam. We're going to do at a at a different, you know, slightly you know uh, easier pace and a slightly smaller scale on the advanced to basically assess whether you have the skill set 
um, that, that's needed to, to come in and do the master exam. Um, so you have face-to-face -face oral exams with, with uh, examiners in the advanced exam. There are only two of them in the advanced exam, where there are 12 in the master, but you have to be able to sit down across from somebody and mm -hmm. be composed and presentable and present, present your thoughts uh, to that person. Uh, and not freeze up or break down or you know whatever it is. Do um, people break down? We've, we've had people break down in an exam. I mean, I mean again, you know, it's an emotional, when, when somebody when somebody sits down and, and, and I you know and I turn over the the style you know because I do style things myself mm -hmm. and I turn over the card and it says um, you know Schwartz beer mm -hmm. and and it'll have somebody go oh I knew I should have studied that. <laughs> That hurts. That hurts. On, and you know, it's like, well, level. we're gonna have a ten-minute conversation about this style. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't. Yeah. You can't. There's nowhere to hide. You can't bullshit your way through that. Right. Exactly. No. Exactly. It's crazy. Well, all right. So taking taking us down the rungs a little bit. So, um, the certified beer server, uh, the examination can, online. Yeah. Can, can I say one other thing about yeah. the, the yeah, yeah, of course. So one of the, one of the analogies I use, and mm -hmm. so the, one of the other objections is people who are certified beer servers who feel like we hired over them, right? Okay. Who say as certified cicerones, sorry, mm -hmm. as certified cicerones who yeah. feel like they got hired over, that as certified cicerone, like they were one step below master, and so uh, they felt, you know that they were at a higher elevation. Mm -hmm. And so now there's another level they feel like they've been demoted, basically, right? I gotcha. So here's the thing. I think of it as climbing um, uh, Everest, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you, you know, paid any attention at all, there's the summit, right? Yeah. And there's base camps along the way. There's base camp one, there's base camp two, and then there's the summit. And you go, you know, in one 24-hour period from base camp two up to the summit and back I down. I the keynote speaker from last year, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. The summit is Master Cicerone. Yeah. Base Camp One is Certified Cicerone. Mm -hmm. Those two stations have not changed. Yeah. All we've done is built Base Camp Number Two mm -hmm. so that there is a safe point for you to stop at halfway up. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the real thing that happened. And yeah, conceptually, I get the fact that it feels like you know you're, you're not quite in the same place, but you are in fact in the same place. You have demonstrated the same knowledge. You have the same capabilities. You you deserve the same respect. Because mm -hmm. certified Cicerone is a significant accomplishment by itself, and there are still fewer than a hundred people that own that that have earned any title greater than certified Cicerone. Yeah. And, and so it's like, yeah, that's pretty, still, 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 pretty special thing. Um, so yeah, I, I get that there's you know those objections, but it's like at some point all these things uh, came together, and it's like yeah, we have to do this. I also feel like you know you have to be on a very specific trajectory to really want. The advanced or the master. Yeah, absolutely. For, you absolutely. know, it's, you know, 90% of all, and you're good, 90% of all beer jobs, yep. you know, and if you have a Cicerone. Certified Cicerone, yeah, you're, you're good. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody's going to ask for something more. No, and nobody, I, I can't imagine in this, in this at this point, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but at this point, I can't imagine you get two similar, you know, resumes and you don't bring somebody in who has a certified versus the person who has the advanced. Right, right, you know right, I mean? right, 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 exactly. I think yeah. you'd, you'd bring them both in. Right, well, and again, to the, to the point of access on that, the master exam is a two-day exam. Mm -hmm. It's always in Chicago. And so if you're going to undertake that, that goal, you know, if you're trying to move on from certified Cicerone, it's a big financial commitment to come to Chicago. Yeah. That means flying for most people, uh, to be probably a hotel three nights in mm -hmm. Chicago. Um, so that's a, a pretty big commitment. The advanced exam is one day exam mm -hmm. and we do it regionally. We do it on the West coast, 
We do it on the East Coast, we do it in the Midwest, we move it around so that people have access to it. So by doing that, we hope to make it easier and less expensive for people to, to move beyond certified Cicerone, yeah. um, to have, a, have access to a, an advancement opportunity without having to commit to everything that's uh, required for the master. And then if they do well in the, in the advance, if they pass the advance, now they know, okay, now I know it's gonna be worth it for me to put down the money to make that trip to do the master exam and go through that challenge and, and spend that money. So that was part of part yeah. of the thinking on it as well. So yeah, bringing us back down a few rungs. So the certified mm -hmm. beer server, very accessible mm -hmm. quiz. It's online. There's a practice test um, on the website. The first question that I really appreciate is, by passing this exam, am I allowed to say I am a, a certified Cicerone on my resume? And the answer is no. Right. <laughs> True or false, yeah. Which I, which I really appreciated. <laughs> that, that put a smile on my face. Um, but I will say, when you start the process of studying for the certified, um, it is daunting. And it's one of those things where... You know, you read all these different uh, articles and blogs, you know, hey, I took a year to study, I took six months, I took three months, I did the boot camp, which mm -hmm. you all offer, um, I did a off-flavor tasting seminar, you know, all these different right. things. What is your number one, like, first step? For somebody as a recommendation. Print out the syllabus. Print out the syllabus. <laughs> Print out the syllabus. I always say, get yourself three highlighters, mm -hmm. a green one, a yellow one, and a red one and go through the syllabus. And the stuff you absolutely know cold, you can highlight in green. The stuff that you have no idea what's going on, you better highlight that in red. And the stuff that uh, maybe you know, but you probably need to review some, you can highlight that in yellow. And then there's your study guide, right? Because you gotta, you gotta know all that stuff and you gotta know it cold uh, and you gotta be able to perform in, in presenting it. Um, so that's that's the challenge, and the syllabus is the number one study guide, and it's you know it's free. There's not a lot of substance to it; it's just an outline. But at least it guides you where you need to go from there, and it can help you decide then which of the resources that we offer and which of the resources that we present as mm -hmm. listings, bibliographies, stuff like that are the ones you need to prioritize in terms of what you buy, what you work on, uh, what you go to. Um, so yeah, that's that's absolutely number one, and you know. I, there are people that overlook it. There are people who, who just, you know, don't quite get that part of the process. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of fun questions for you. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have tasted hundreds and hundreds of different beers. I'm sure you have been uh, beer. Are you a certified beer judge? Or? Uh, yeah, I, I started out in BJCP, and I think I took my BJCP exam in 1991. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> so you taste a lot of great beers. Um, what is a beer recently that kind of stopped you in your tracks and really impressed you? Wow. I know it's a really hard question. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, like everyone else, these days, there is so much uh, brand variety available mm -hmm. that unless you go back to a beer over and over again, you know, if it's if it's available in, in bottles and cans in my market and I can find it and bring it home and have it available, then it sort of sticks in my memory and, and stuff like that. Um, man, one that just really stopped me in my tracks. Um, wow. I mean... 
it was, it, it's a beer I have come back to, and it's from my favorite local brewery in Chicago, which is Off Color Brewing. Oh, um, I love, I love that yeah. brewery. Yeah, they, they make a, a Cezanne-ish uh, sort of beer called Apex Predator mm-hmm. um, that uh, has a regular place in my cooler. And when I finally got to their tap room, after it had been open six months or so, um, I said, hey, I can have Apex Predator at home anytime I want. <laughs> I'll attempt something else. And they had a, a beer called Tooth and Claw, uh, which was a, a Pilsner-style beer that they'd made as a collaboration with the local Natural History Museum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I tried that and, and really loved that beer. So, and it sort of fits into that, that you know, little megatrend, or not megatrend, minor trend, if you will, of a mini trend of um, lagers and pilsners and, and uh, a little bit uh, different uh, tack from uh, where a lot of uh, beer flavors have been going in the craft segment. But that's been a, a fun beer and one I've enjoyed. Um, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so, perfect. It's a good one. So then what is a, a beer that is like a, a comfort blanket for you? Something that you always, <laughs> you know, you just put it on like that perfect hoodie. It's already broken in. You love it. It brings you back happy memories. Well, well, I mean, you know, you really want to go way back there. <laughs> I'll scandalize everybody and say Heineken because uh, that's what I drank when I was in grad school and, you know, right out of college and, and uh, stuff like that. And, and, and that does have a place in my cooler still. And there are days when it's like, oh, you know, just, I'm just going to have a Heineken. I just want something a little, little light, just, you know, thirst quencher. Um, so that's, that's my summer uh, uh, comfort beer. Um, that no. makes me very happy because when I was still in culinary school, uh-huh. I did my externship in Bermuda. Ah. And that's all there was to drink. Oh. So it's like, for me, that's like a comfort right. Right. So but I only buy yeah. Heineken in cans, by the way. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the days when I go and, and, and they only have Heineken in, in bottles at, yeah. the, at the store. It's like, eh, no, I'm not getting that. Like, I'll go somewhere else to buy it in cans. I'm not buying the bottle. Yeah, uh, that one, and I'd say Bell's Too Hearted. Yeah. And then when I'm ready for, uh, for, for an IPA-ish uh, beer, because that was, you know, a regular beer for me all the way back in the 90s when it first came out. And mm-hmm. I remember tasting that beer for the first time. And, you know, Larry Bell was a, a friend for a long time. And tasting uh, Two-Hearted Ale for the first time and just, you know, looking at Larry and saying, Larry, this is a world-class beer. And it has proven to be a world-class beer. So I feel feel real good about, about that one. Yeah. Two-Hearted tastes like the end of a shift for me. <laughs> no, there you go. Yeah. Um, now, two more questions for you. The first... Uh, what is a beer destination that you feel is vital for somebody starting out in the beer world? Starting out in the beer world? Yes. Your local brewery. Nice. You know? Yeah. Right. You know? Uh, go and, and taste the beers and uh, take a tour and talk to the people that work there and see if you can find get involved in something they're doing. I don't know. My uh, I got involved as a home brewer. Uh, did my, I brewed my first homebrew in 1989 mm-hmm. and uh, saw a thing for a um, session with the brewmaster at Goose Island Brew Pub, uh, the original <laughs> Goose Island Brew Pub at 1800 North Clybourne and uh, went by uh, to sit down and, and uh, attend that session. And I remember it was me and my wife and three single women. And, and I was convinced that the three, the three single women weren't together. They were all separate. And I was convinced that they were there because they thought there'd be a lot of single guys at this <laughs> thing. <laughs> and um, uh, the guys hadn't really yet quite 
gotten into studying beer mm-hmm. uh, unless you were really geeky like like me, the home brewers. So they were just um, they were there for the beer. They were well, they, no, they were there. I think because they were hoping to meet oh. people. Uh, but well, it ladies, didn't turn out that way. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, again, that was my read on yeah. it at, at that time. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, at the time, I think I probably didn't realize how much women did like beer. Because mm-hmm. um, my, my uh, wife at that time wasn't much of a beer drinker. But as I got into craft and as I introduced her to more flavorful beers, she really liked those beers that had, you know, more character, more flavor to them than the Heineken's and the, you yeah. know, uh, uh, old style, which we used to drink a fair of in my household before before the craft days. Nice. Um, yeah, so uh, I think there was uh, uh, a lot of interest in that. Um, so getting involved in your local brewery, uh, just learning what you can from them and hearing what resources they might turn you on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Victor Simovich, the original brewer at, uh, at Goose Island Brew Pub, he's the one that told me to track down the Chicago Beer Society. He could tell by the geeky questions I was asking that I was a home brewer. He told me to track down Chicago Beer Society. I did. Got very involved with Chicago Beer Society and sort of that really launched my involvement in, in beer in a more serious way. Nice. Yeah, and I would say we previously talked to the D.C. Homebrewers Club and getting involved in your guild or any homebrewers club is, is a really good thing. Yeah, volunteering at beer festivals, yeah. great thing to do. Everyone yeah. needs people to pour beer, yep. especially when it's hot outside. Yeah, um, and you know, and you get to hang around with brewers and, and people from the brewery and talk to them and find out what they know. Everyone always needs help bottling. Yep, well, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> uh, and then one more question as far as beer travel goes. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a destination, a beer destination that you're really excited about that's maybe off the beaten path somewhere in the world or in the U.S. Uh, that you would recommend to people who are, you know, thoroughly into beer? Well, I think uh, anybody who hasn't been to Bamberg, Germany, you know, probably needs to do that. Uh, Bamberg is a small town in uh, Franconia, which is the northern part of Bavaria. And uh, Bamberg is best known for its production of Rauch beers or smoke beers, smoke flavored mm-hmm. beers. Uh, but because it's in Bavaria and because they have, I think, nine or ten breweries in this little town of like 30,000 people, um, they make a lot of traditional German lager styles as well. And so it is, and for a lot of people I know who are beer travelers and, and beer aficionados of, of many decades uh, experience, it is still one of their favorite places to go because of that variety of beers, uh, because it is a, it is a UNESCO uh, heritage city. It was, yeah. not, it was not bombed during the war, so a lot of uh, old historic architecture still survives there. It's very beautiful. Uh, it's very much a walking town. You can walk from one end of, the, uh, end of it to the other in 10 minutes. Um, and so it's a beautiful little town to go to and uh, literally spend, you know, days, if not weeks, <laughs> Just enjoy. you know, enjoying, enjoying beer and the culture and, and everything else that's there. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and even though that region is, is primarily, you know, that you do see a lot of smoke beer, um, that's where Marsbrow is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you see the ungespundet, the unfiltered yeah. uh, Pilsner, which... I have a love affair with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Keller beers, Vickle beer. Yeah, yeah, that was the first place I ever had it, and uh, Mars was one of them. And there was another uh, brewery 
that was uh, serving it too. And and you know the real origins of that style, of course, is that it was only served at the brewery because mm-hmm. it literally is beer that's supposed to be served from the lagering tank that that's not quite finished conditioning, that's not quite car- fully carbonated and hasn't been filtered, and so you get that that cloudy. Um, slightly, you know, estery uh, uh, beer, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a special experience, and, and I think it, it, the reason we're getting it now overseas is because they're looking for lager brewers are looking for ways to make lager beer exciting again, and so they're trying to do these new things to bring some more excitement and interest. Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much. My I pleasure. Greatly appreciate you taking time. I know Crafters Conference is a very very busy busy time but i greatly appreciate you taking time glad to do it thanks for asking hopefully we'll see you in dc at some point all right sounds good thanks for listening to this program on full service radio broadcasting and recording from the line hotel in adams morgan washington dc full service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Beer 